Well, hey fans of Biblical Genetics, this is Dr. Rob. I'm coming to you today from an old home site, just west of Marietta, Georgia. The house in the background is to represent old and outdated ideas. These are ideas that are thrown at the creationists that don't hold water. I'm talking about the genealogical versus the long-term or phylogenetic mutation rate. The evolutionist says, you stupid creationists, you can't use a short-term mutation rate. You have to use the long-term mutation rate as if there's a difference. We'll get into that as we go through this. My last two episodes were not quite new information. This is going to be new. Two episodes ago, I talked about the census versus the effective population size. Now, that might be new to some of you, but it's something that's been floating around, at least in my writings and speaking, for quite a while. I just want to summarize the argument and back up and clarify everything so everyone knows what we're talking about. The last episode, I was just summarizing what happened at the Creation Research Society conference. Now, to me, that was wonderful and fun, but there wasn't really much content there for you. This one, though, there's going to be some content because I've been working hard on this. I've been doing... Oh, tens of thousands of model runs on Mendel's accountant. I've been doing hundreds of thousands of model run on, runs on my own population modeling software that I've been developing for several years. And I'm trying to get at the question, can you use the mutation rate that you can measure, like from father to son, or in a family where everyone knows who their ancestor was? Can you use that mutation rate and figure out or make an estimated guess of how long ago mitochondrial Eve, or Y chromosome Adam, lived. The mutation rate that's used in evolutionary theory is much, much slower than that which we can measure in a laboratory or in a family study. Much slower, several orders of magnitude slower. So their Y chromosome Adam, their mitochondrial Eve, is on the order of hundreds of thousands of years ago. The biblical model is on the order of thousands of years ago. So it's about two orders of magnitude difference, or about a hundredfold difference in their number versus our number. Who's right? This argument comes in several different forms. It's really the same argument, but with different words and expressions used to describe the same things. It might be like, oh, you dumb creationist, you can't use a short-term mutation rate, you have to use the long-term mutation rate. Or you can't use the genealogical mutation rate, you have to use the phylogenetic mutation rate. Or, you can't use a mutation rate you can measure in families, you have to use a substitution rate, that, or the fixation rate, or the rate at which two species diverge from one another by having 100% differences in a certain set of letters. The substitution rate. And yet, um, all of those counter-arguments are wrong, and I'm going to explain why. First of all, it is abundantly clear that let's say, um, non-selective or neutral, or at least selectively neutral mutations accumulate at will. They're not affected by selection or drift or any other genetic things, they just accumulate. In my experiments with Mendel's accountant, that is a software, a computer modeling program that the creationists invented directly to test evolutionary theory. I've written a lot about this in the past. In fact, I had a 10-year anniversary summary article on creation.com, which will be linked in the show notes if you want to know more about the program and how powerful it is and what it can do. Effectively, it's the most sophisticated evolutionary modeling program ever written, and it was written by creationists to test specific evolutionary scenarios, usually uh, in a neutral setting or a slightly deleterious mutation rate. It's basically the neutralist arguments, and we're arguing about those. But in these experiments, I have shown clearly that neutral mutations, ones that have no effect or ones that have hardly any effect at all, which should be most mutations because you're talking about three billion letters in a genome, change one letter, it's not probably gonna do very much. But most mutations accumulate 
in a clock-like fashion. The rate depends upon the population size. You get a lot more fixation in small populations than large populations, as expected. But you also get a linear accumulation of mutations, meaning nothing slowing them down, nothing stopping them. They're accumulating all by themselves over time. In standard population genetics theory, something I learned in even PhD level population genetics courses, the mutation rate of the individual approximates the fixation rate or approximates the substitution rate. At least for neutral mutations, one that don't have any effect, ones that have no bearing whatsoever on the survival of the organism, they accumulate at the same rate as they occur. So the mutation rate equals the substitution rate for neutral mutations. For selective mutations though, that's not necessarily true. Over the long term, there's going to be a difference between the accumulation rate of neutral or slightly deleterious mutations and truly deleterious mutations, ones that are subject to selection. The mutation rate will be lower for the ones that can be selected against. The accumulation will slow down because natural selection will be removing them from the population over time. Individuals that carry them will have fewer children, therefore the accumulation rate of those mutations is less. However, it's not dramatically less, and that's a key. There can't be a great difference between the accumulation of neutral mutations and the accumulation of deleterious mutations, because there are only so many people to go around. For natural selection to work, there's a cost, there's a penalty on the population. You're actually reducing the reproductive output of individuals, and there's only so much reproductive output that the entire population can withstand. It's actually surprisingly small before you start driving your population extinct. So the evolutionist is caught between the horns of a dilemma. They want a lot of selectable mutations, but those are bad mutations that drive populations extinct. There's only a little bit they can have, and I've shown in my simulations, and Mendel's accountant has shown in many other simulations, that you need to have a very small deleterious mutation rate. You can have as many mutations as you want, as long as they're neutral, but they accumulate in a clock-like linear fashion. If you want to slow down the individual mutation rate so it does not equal the long-term species accumulation rate, you need a lot of bad mutations and that equals extinction. And yet the discussion is a little bit irrelevant because we're not talking about fixation or substitution. We're talking about divergence, which is the opposite of substitution. We're starting with a single individual, an Adam or an Eve, and watching their descendants increase in the number of differences from the ancestor. Mutations are building up in the subpopulations. Mutations are building up in the specific lineages. There's no substitution happening here at all. And so claiming that the genealogical mutation rate doesn't equal the long-term evolutionary mutation rate, well, who cares? We're talking about descent from a specific individual and people diverging from that individual. It is a distraction to cite the other issues when that's not at all what we're talking about. Since most mutations are neutral, Mr. Evolutionist, you have to acknowledge this or you're gonna have extinction problems, plus most of you think so anyway. And since most of the Y chromosome is not coding, therefore most of the Y chromosome shouldn't be selective if it mutates. Now, that might be a little different on mitochondria because most of the mitochondrial genome is coding, at least for RNA or proteins. So most of it is functional, but there should be a lot of places where you can mutate it. It doesn't have much of an effect. But plus, we've only had a few dozen to a few hundred mutations in the mitochondria among 16,000 letters, so only a small percent of it even has mutated, at least accumulated in current populations. 
There's a third criticism that we hear often, and it's actually a giant mistake on the part of the antagonist when they say, come on creationists, you know that most mutations are lost over time. And since most mutations are lost over time, clearly the long-term accumulation rate must be lower than the short-term accumulation rate. Who cares how many mutations an individual has? 99.9999 something percent of those will go lost. Therefore, the substitution rate, the species mutation rate, the time to Y chromosome atom mitochondrial leave should be much, much, much slower than the genealogical mutation rate. The reason why this is wrong is, yeah, fine. The mutations that I carry are gonna last, according to my calculations, on average, four generations. Because for any child I have, there's a 50-50 chance they're gonna inherit any one of the specific mutations in my genome. And it's a 50-50 chance they'll pass it down to any one of their children. So granted, most people have on average two children and a stable population, and that gives you an, a life expectancy of any given mutation of about four, four and a half generations. In an exponentially growing population, the life expectancy of a mutation is much longer, but it's still not infinite. It's quite finite. Mutations disappear quickly. The reason it is wrong to say, therefore, the long-term accumulation rate is slower is because, yeah, I only got half the mutations each of my parents had, but I have two parents. The inherent mutation rate, I got half, but multiply times two, that equals one. The number of mutations I got is still equal to the mutation rate. I might have only gotten 25% of all the mutations my grandparents carried, but I have four grandparents. Four times 0.25 is one. Keep on going back generation after generation after generation in reverse, and you always multiply the number of mutations times the number of ancestors, and always equals one. That applies for inbred populations as well as outbred populations. The mutation rate that accumulates in a population is approximately the same as the mutation rate itself. All right, now I know that was a little uh, esoteric for some of you. I just want to point out that there is an answer to the evolutionary objection. Now, I have no doubt that I'm going to be jumped on for everything that I said, and you can expect a follow-up episode on this because I'm pretty certain that I'm going to have to say some more. Might even have to say the exact same thing I said now, again, because people don't listen. And the trolls out there that are starting to find my, my YouTube channel, welcome. I'm glad you're commenting, but as you notice, I don't usually engage because, you know, it's not worth spending all hours of my day when I can be making videos to respond to videos. So the videos are here for you, for your edification and enjoyment. I hope you got something out of it. By the way, support for this channel comes through my generous donors, either on patreon.com, those are my long-term supporters, or buymeacoffee.com, those are my one-off donors, even though I do have several people that consistently donate on that platform. You can find links in the show notes, or just go to patreon.com or biblicalgenetics.com, or buymeacoffee.com, and you can find biblical genetics there. I have a lot of videos that I've produced so far. Some of them, interestingly, are getting consistent comments. My uh, Jacob's uh, sheep breeding experiment video is getting more consistent views than anything else I've done. My pandemic argument video actually went viral, and that has more, more views than anything, but it's hardly getting any views today. Those videos are there for you. I hope you're enjoying this. I know some of you are. I hope you're getting something out of this. Do not fall to the evolutionary canard. The short-term mutation rate is effectively the same as a long-term mutation rate. Therefore, using genealogical mutation rates, that is one to three Y chromosome mutations per generation, or one half to one 
mitochondrial mutations per generation. You look at the Y chromosome in the mitochondrial tree, you can see how many differences separate the people on the tree. And we're talking, the answer to that, the number of differences times or divided by the mutation rate gives you a biblical number for the timing of that ancestor or ancestress. We're talking thousands, not hundreds of thousands, and definitely not millions of years.